I believe God's got something very specific for this morning. And so what I'm going to ask each and every single one of you, and we never normally start like this, is that you um, get your hearts ready and pay full attention to what God is saying today. Um, You know, sometimes we come up here and we're ready and we get our hearts ready and say, oh, I'm ready to hear a word. But I want you to set your heart ready to hear a word today. This is not about me. This is not about Pastor Don. This is not about anything because we're speaking it. It's not even about that. This is about the voice of the Lord that wants to speak to his church. And see, we've been talking about a couple things. Um, For the past several weeks, we've been actually month, month and a half, what we've been into a series about um, the harvest. We've been talking about the harvest. We declare war and on um, with the unlikely harvester and the unlikely mission and going through several things that have just led up one after another. And we were speaking, and there's three key things that I believe that the Lord um, really drew out in part of this passage and the things that are going on, um, which was in uh, the... One of the sermons, there were three key things. Um, One of them was when Pastor Don spoke about the unlikely mission and said, if the church is the heart, then the mission is the vascular system and it's the life-giving blood. And then I spoke on Ruth and I said, if we are the bride of Christ, it's time we act like it and take ownership of the field. And last week, Pastor Sam spoke with us up here talking about the youth, but one of the things he ended with was saying, you'll either be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, God will vomit you out of his mouth. And so to go with those three things, we want to tie some of this together um, to talk about a couple things. And I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. If you have your Bible, say Amen. He's got to go get it. Amen. Chapter 3, verses, and I'm going to be moving through my Bible quite a bit. I know she probably is today, too. So uh, it's important that we know our word. Amen? Amen. It says it this way. Verse 15 goes on to say, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And I want to start something off before we get into the fullness of this whole thing. That when it opens up in Revelation in here and begins to talk about it, the Lord begins to say that he... Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. And so today we ask you, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. What is he saying? What is he speaking to us? And I believe that as the church, that we represent him corporately, but we also represent him individually. We would not have a church if it not be for you personally, individually, who served God and represented the church in yourself. We could come together and we could just be another rave or another uh, stinging club or something else that's going on because where people gather doesn't mean that they're the church. God is talking to us and to you individually. It is us as individuals who make up his church. And it is us as individuals who are charged with keeping the passion for his name. 
It's us who are charged with the mission to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and spread that passion to others. We are the bride that is to be unashamed of her lover. I begin to think about weddings, and, and I love weddings. I do. I love going to weddings for what they represent, the love and the unity of the bride and the groom and what God's doing. And anyone that knows that a bride and groom are the ultimate depiction of love, they're the ultimate depiction of love. They're the ultimate depiction of affection. And they should be the ultimate depiction of passion. What passion literally is, I'm not talking about just passion. You know, when we talk about intimacy, I'm talking about intimacy and union and passion for heart and soul and body and mind of what God really has dedicated for them and what he desires as the church. And I believe that when you go to a wedding, you know how you get, everybody's cool. You know, the groom comes out first, but ain't everybody in full anticipation until they know that bride comes down that aisle. And something happens in the room when a bride enters the room. Something takes place. And I believe a true bride stirs up the passion of others around her. It does. It just stirs up. It stirs up that passion and that heart and that love of just that intimacy of what, of what not only between maybe you and your spouse, but just the people around you and that feeling of just knowing that love is true and it's evident. But what about a bride that allows the things of life to distract her? What about a bride who doesn't really show the affection or the love for her groom? What about a bride who has cold feet? And so that sets us today. We want to talk to you today about a series called The Bride Wars. See, we've been in talking about we declare war, but I think we are in the most ultimate setting of that war, which is called the bride wars. There are two types of brides. There's the passionate bride, and there's the cold-footed bride. The passionate bride carries a strong and barely controllable emotion towards her groom. It's a zeal. It's a fervor. It's an enthusiasm that compels her to the action for her groom. But the bride that has cold feet carries an apprehension or a doubt strong enough to prevent her from going through the planned course of action. She is the one with torn emotions and affections towards her groom. She is the one who goes through the motions but has lost her love and passion. I believe it's no wonder that Jesus Christ talks many times in the word of God about the bride, the church representing the bride and him being the groom. It's all about relationship with him. He wants us to be that bride that is passionate for him and enthusiastic for him and loves him and has zeal and not afraid to show him who we are and who he is in us. I think part of the problem is is we've struggled with becoming cold-footed. We've allowed some of our passion to begin to die out. There's always been a war for the affection and love of the bride of Christ. There has always been from the very beginning since Lucifer fell from heaven and his, see, he had a torn affection towards the Lord. 
He didn't want to give his full affection towards God because he was distracted by his pride, by what he wanted and the things of the world because he desired affection more than giving it. He desired what he wanted overall. And there's been a war from that beginning since he fell to this earth. His determination has, to be, has been to steer the affection of the bride away from Christ. I believe that we will either be the passionate bride or the cold-footed bride. We'll be the one either who comes down the aisle focused and determined for God, or we're going to be the one that has our affections that are torn. I think, you know, as you see in Revelations of uh, the bride of Christ or the bride of the whore. And uh, it's very, you know, and I kept looking at that going, man, I mean, he's just saying that it's a whore. I mean, that's, that's pretty big words. You know what I mean? To be, to be that uh, perverted. You know what I mean? Either perverted in the mind or perverted in the heart and distracted by all the other things Instead of being having the attention of God and the attention of the lover of your soul, you have an attention of the love of the world. And there's two battles. There's the, there's, there's the true bride and the false bride. There's the true church and the false church. And, you know, sometimes I think being the true bride, that we, we were, we're going to have to come out and reveal ourselves. Because... And it's interesting because in the prayer room, I had got a text right in the middle of the prayer room that if the church doesn't repent and turn from its ways, then how is America going to do that? If the church doesn't repent and turn from its ways and be the true lover of God, then how is the America, we, we just keep saying, well, America, you need to turn toward God. America, you need to turn toward, and we ain't doing a thing about it. We're not showing the love of, of Christ in our lives. And I'm talking about not only personally, but corporately. Do you know what I mean? Like, as a bride, I love you, Pop. So since we got transparent in the prayer room, I'm going to get transparent up here. And as a bride, I had to repent to my lover. That's Pop right there. 41 years. Well, 44, something like that. You should clap on that one. That one's, I should clap. But what I'm saying is, as we were studying this, and I was like, you know, what about me? You know, I, have I been really affectionate toward, toward my husband? Because, see... We're natural and divine. We have the natural desires and we have the spiritual de desires. We have a natural and we have a divine. If I can't connect like this, then how am I going to connect like this? Do you see what I'm saying? That lover, I don't care if it's love that I have for you. If I can't connect and have that, how could I have this? You know what I mean? you got to search what... You know, because here's, here's the bride war. You could have warfare right in the midst of where you are in my own house. Come on, let's get real. 
or with your spouse or with your sister or with your family or with a friend. You know, and God started searching our hearts, searching our hearts in that prayer room, searching my heart this week to say, you know, do I really have the love that, that reflects here on the earth so I can reflect it there? How could I have an ear to hear if I don't listen to what's going on even in the earth? So every day me and him pray together, and all of a sudden I said, we can't pray yet because I need to repent to you. And I need to ask for forgiveness to you because I've been so short. and not That's not love. You know what I mean? And he goes, oh, no, no, you're good. I said, no, I'm not. Let me finish. Then I got in trouble for that. But do you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, let's just get real with it. You know what I mean? If there's a battle and there's a war going on, is there a war going on here? I'm talking about naturally between uh, this. Because how in the world are you going to have this if you don't have this? Amen? Well, it's a whole lot easier to lose your passion than to keep it. Keeping your passion that you had at the very beginning of a marriage is a whole lot harder to keep as you continue to go down through it. It keeps work and, and, and it takes, you know, effort and it takes the consistency and it takes that loyalty and it takes determination and it takes, you know, trust and it takes a lot of digging in. And, and I think that's why we struggle so much um, in the world to see the picture of Jesus Christ is because so many marriages anymore in these days don't last very long. And longevity is a hard thing. And so for us, as we look at what God is doing in our lives and how things are moving, it is hard for us to depict what the true bride may look like because maybe we've been let down. And I'm not saying that if you've ever had to go through a divorce that you were condemned in this room. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that sometimes things don't work out right because love wasn't the true love that was there in the first place that made it very difficult. Or maybe you've gone through an abusive relationship or somebody cheated, then they you know, th that's, that's false love. And it's really hard for us to represent what's taking place in life and look at God because it's a lot easier to lose passion than to keep it. I want to read to you something that Jesus Christ said in Revelation 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and he's talking to the church of Ephesus. I want you to pay attention to the things that he's saying to them. But he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There was one word that really stuck out to me, and it was the word abandoned. I looked up abandon, and it says to give up with intent of never again asserting or claiming an interest in, to disassociate oneself. Well, hold on. 
He just said, I know your works and you're doing this and you cannot bear with those who are evil and you've tested the things that are right and you've found things to be false and I know you're enduring and you're being patient and you're doing things for my name's sake. But I have this against you. you you've a, abandoned the love you had at first. They fortified. They fortified the right to shed the light because it was the lampstand. They fortified the right to shed the light to illuminate his presence. Can you imagine that if you're standing there and you have the lampstand taken away from you? But John saw the seven stars, which was the seven angels. And then he saw the seven churches, or the seven, yeah, the seven lampstands, which was the church. He said, I'm going to remove the lampstand. That means he's going to remove the church from you. That, is that what it says? It means he's going to put your light out. He's going to take your light out. And you won't be able to illuminate the presence of God. You fortified your right. You abandoned. You, you fortified your right to have the presence of God. What, what got me so much is when it goes back to say, well, how can you, how can you work so hard to, for his namesake and be proving who you are and, and as servants of Christ say, I know him and show who he is, but you don't love him. And what got me about it was that it, it let me know that the church of Ephesus, they were stuck. They, they lost their passion. They lost their desire for the one true God. They lost their, their emotion and their need and their zeal for God. And, and it made me realize that they were working in the field with God, but forgot all about who they were working for. They were in the right field, and they still didn't know him. Does this, do we understand really what God is trying to say to us as we go into where we are in the last days? You may think you got it all together, and you can be in here, and you can come to church Sunday after Sunday and work and serve and do what you need to do, but you still may not know him. Their affections turned more to their service than to the one they were serving. I read in my word, it says, when Jesus said to them, the love you had at first, it refers to deep love and passion for Christ and his word. It says Jesus' challenge to this church shows that Christians can have the right beliefs and do the right things, even endure hardship for the cause of Christ, but still be lacking in their personal relationship with him. The Ephesians were giving God their service, but not themselves. Above all, Jesus wants those in church to have a deep and sincere love for him personally. Sincere love for Jesus should be evident in your personal life and priorities. Revelation calls this lack of passionate devotion, passionate devotion toward Christ as having fallen. I remember when he said in the word, fallen. He said that to Lucifer. He said, you've fallen. If I lose my passion, I've fallen. I may think that I have it together, but I don't. But go back to where you fell. And every one of us know when we fell. Every one of us know in ourselves where we fell away from doing more for the service than doing the passion of what God is saying. We know that. We, it, why would he say go back to where you fell? 
Well, and if because he was saying that you know where you fell. Yeah. But what's you know so what I mean? hard is if, if you don't know where you fell, maybe you haven't recognized your That's loss exactly of your right. passion. That's right. Do well, you because really you have so God? much passion for service or for so much, you know, you, just like I said a couple of weeks ago, when you go and, you know, I honor the ones that are nurses and everything, but I've walked in and they're so robotic. They lost their passion of, of serving a patient. They, they come in and they say, okay, I just, I need to take your vitals. Da, 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 and I go, hello, how are you? Yeah. You, you, they lost their power. They're so robotic, and we can become robotic as Christians, and we lose our passion of what the love of Christ really is, and then we're just being robotic of trying to... That's why some people don't see the love of Christ, because they're doing it in emotion and instead of the Spirit. That's not saying that you can't have an emotion to it. No. Do you know what I'm saying? But you can... Sir, okay, I, I'm going to be honest and real, that in, in our house... Even if I get frustrated with Brandon, and he can say this, even if I get frustrated with Brandon, there's never been a time that I have not served him, even when I don't like him at the moment. <laughs> Tell the truth. There's never been a moment where I'm just like, and it almost ticks me off even more because I'm like, why, Tell the truth. why am I serving you? You're not nice right now. I don't want to make your dinner and give you your food and fold your clothes, and I don't want to do all that. But something in me still, still causes me to do that. But in that moment, the things that I'm thinking on and my frustrations are getting more of my affection than he is. And the thing about it is, is I can still serve him and maybe not have a passion for him at that moment. And that's the same thing that we're talking about in the church, is you can serve him all you want. But if you don't give him your whole heart and love him and have a passion for him, you are just giving service and not servanthood. See, they were going through all the motions of emotions without true relationship with Christ. Serving good. they look good. It, it they looked, looked good, good it because looked good. they did all the things that, that they, they were probably thinking like, oh, yeah, we're good. God's man. talking great things about yeah. me. Yeah, the church is growing. Yeah. We're doing awesome. We're serving people. Man, we do this all the time. Yeah. We get things together and are moving. And we've got this and this happening. And I've done this, God, and I've done that, God. And he looks at him and says, and you don't love me. Mm -hmm. What? Depart from me. I never knew what? you. What? You don't love me. I think we have to realize that serving God and not loving him is just as bad as not serving or loving him at all. That's right. There's no different. So we can look at ones who aren't serving God at all and give them a hard time and think that we're better than them Come when on, you please. are not. Honestly, right. it's actually worse because you know better and you don't do better. Mm -hmm. It's fake love, just like she said. Yeah. It's fake and we were talking about things, and man, God was stirring in us. And he took us to Luke chapter 17. And this is crazy that God took us here because this was not, <laughs> this was not the thought of what was happening. And in Luke 17, if you go up to verse 20 in my Bible, the heading of it says the coming of the kingdom. And in verse 22, it says it like this. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here, but do not go out and follow them. 
For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many great things and be rejected by this generation. Hello? Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On the day, on that day, let no one who is in the housetop with his goods, uh, with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember who? Wait, God, you're talking she didn't about. Even have a name. <laughs> Wait, hold up. You're talking about the end time coming and all these things. And you want me to remember who? You don't want me to remember your mama who birthed you as a virgin? You want me to remember her? You don't want me to remember Sarah who bore a baby in her 90s. What? You don't want me to remember JL, who was the woman who drove the tent peg into the head of the, the other kingdoms that were fighting Israel and saved them? You don't want me to remember God? You don't want me to remember Deborah, who was the very first judge, female judge? You don't want me to remember Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel? You don't want me to remember that? You want me to remember who? You want me to remember Lot's wife? Why? Why her, God? You want me to remember the woman that has no name? The woman who you chose to spare from a city of destruction and great sin, but deliberately disobeyed you? You want me to remember the woman who turned to salt? You want me to remember her? And God said, yes. He said, because she represented the bride who got cold feet from her groom. She had divided loyalties and affections. And she turned back because her heart and affections were never focused on her lover. They were never focused on the lover of her soul. Her misplaced affections not only hurt her, but the ones she loved. She abandoned God, she abandoned her spouse, and she abandoned her family. She abandoned the bride of Christ. Listen to James 1.8. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Their loyalty is divided. Her loyalty was divided between God and the world. She was split in half. There was a bride war. She was split right in half, and she was unstable in all her ways. And if you would know, the two angels came in to that city in Sodom, where the Sodom was a city that was a whore. There was either a, a true bride or a false bride. That represented them being very sexual in things that they shouldn't have been doing. They were very, very wicked. So here's Abram praying. 
So God sends two angels. They didn't look like angels. They looked like dudes coming into a city. And Lot standing there at the gate. Better be standing at the gate waiting on somebody. Better be waiting on what God wants to do. Do you hear me? Sometimes you don't even go, you're not even a watchman to even watch over the gate of your own city. Anyway, that wasn't even in my notes. But. And so he brought them into his home. There's Lot's wife. Don't know her name. That's interesting. But remember her. And they're serving them. They're taking care of them. Her daughter-in-laws are there. Her son-in-laws are there. And he said, well, well, why are you here? And the next thing you know, there's two men that want to sexually do something. I'm just telling you. There's two men that sexually want to do something to the two angels that just came in. You know, just like Lucifer, God is not going to put up with it. And just like lightning, you know, it's funny how they came, the, the angels Lucifer came down like lightning. God said he's coming like lightning. And he said, well, I cannot believe that they're trying to do things to you. They're begging them to come out of that house. There was so much going on in that world that was so wicked. And he said, in the last days, it will be like that. Hello, are we standing there? Churches are doing whatever they need to do. If you, if you want to marry homosexually, I'm going to go here real quick. We can marry you here. How about no? How about that's not lining up with the word of God? I'm going to go there, and it's probably going to hit some things, and that's okay. The truth is the truth. we got to stand as a pure bride. we got to stand and reveal the passion of what God is saying. He pulls them out, and he said, we have to go now. We have to flee now. We have to go now. What if God said to you, you got to go now. Don't even go into your house and get anything out of your house. If your house was on fire, if your house was on fire, you're going to go, hang on a minute, honey. Let me go get all that other stuff in there. And it's flaming with fire. Are you going to run back in or are you going to flee? God is trying to say they had to leave. And and the angel said, we got to go and we got to go right now. We have to flee from here. God is trying to say that we have to go and we got to go right now. We have to flee from the thing. He said, come out from among them and be separate. We cannot be disloyal. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the world. It said their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they were unstable. Her loyalty was divided between God and the world because the world of Sodom and of Sodom and Gomorrah is the same as the end time. We are given a warning. So they left, and he said, come on, we got to go right now. They go before they leave Sodom and go to the son-in-laws and said, we have to go right now. They said, we're not leaving here. Two son-in-laws. You have anybody in your family that doesn't want to go to God, that doesn't want to listen to what God's trying to say about fleeing? They got burned up. That was Lot's son-in-laws. And they said no. They said, well, we got to go anyway. So here's the daughter-in-laws. They're married to two men. They have to leave anyway. So there's Lot running out of the city, two angels running out of the city, and two daughter-in-laws with Lot's wife. What's interesting is they were all ahead of her, and she was behind them. 
And he had deliberately said, the only thing that you have is God has said, do not turn around. Do not look back upon the sin. Do not turn your head or you will be turned to a pillar of salt. Do we think God doesn't mean what he says? Do we just think that he says things, that this is just a game? That this is just something we can read and be like, ah, he won't do that. He loves me too much. Uh, God always forgives. God, God will never, his grace is just so sufficient. I'll say it, I've said it, and I've said it, and I'll say it again. If his grace never had a limit and things never ran to a point, then why on earth are we even trying to serve him? And why would we, worry, we, we, we be worried about a hell? There would be no reason for it because we could do what we want. Live how we want and just go back to him and be like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I love you. But see, he was going to destroy all of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, my nephew's there. Yep. Can you spare that? Can you spare? Can you send somebody to? Have you ever prayed that you said, oh, my goodness, can you spare my son? Can you spare my daughter? Can you spare my grandchildren? And they're dying right now and going to hell in a handbag. Come on, somebody. Because I know in this, in this room, you've got some people that you're thinking, oh, my goodness, they're not going to make it if they don't turn around and do what's right. But you know what's crazy about that right there? Talking about that right now and praying for one is that Lot's wife proves that you can be walking in the path of purpose and still lose your soul. Yeah. You can be walking through the path of purpose and still lose your soul yeah. if God doesn't have your whole heart. You can be in the field of God and lose your soul. And what's so crazy is God allowed and answered Abraham's prayer. Yeah. They leave. And you know what's crazy that I get about it? It's twice. Lot, Lot's wife turned away from her actual lover. And she turned away from Jesus Christ, the lover of her soul. Two grooms, two times, she turned away from them. And you know what Lot proved to me? The groom didn't turn around. He didn't turn around. He didn't stop. He didn't stop because, see, we're coming to a moment that you better get in the right path and the right moment because he ain't turning around. To miss here and now and tomorrow because we are... We have happened to be there and then from yesterday. Let me say it again. To miss the here and now and tomorrow because we are trapped in the there and then of yesterday. Attempting to save your life because you, you lose it like a house on fire. If you're trying to, trying to save your own life, you're going to lose it. If you give him your life, it'll be saved. And I think that we, we, we look at the the here and the now instead of, you know, or the yesterday and what happened to turn us around. But you know what's interesting is she pondered. She just didn't turn around. She pondered. She lingered. She lingered to turn around. And just like what you were saying, she lost two grooms, okay? She lost the natural groom and she lost the spiritual groom. We are naturally and spiritually. If I can't do this, then I can't do this. 
And I think sometimes we lose this right here. We think, oh, we got it going on. I love you, God, and I've been giving you praise, and I've been, but I've been hating that person right over here. And I love you, God, and I'm just, oh, no, I, I mean, I am passionate for you, but I don't have a relationship like this. It, it has to line up like this, to line up like this. And, and I think that we miss that sometimes in our lives of the natural and the spiritual, of the divine. You know what I'm saying? I was thinking real simple, and I, we are not up here trying to literally scare the hell out of you. Like, can I ask you a simple question? Why is it when a stoplight turns red at the uh, stoplight and all cars are sitting there that y'all are okay to stop at a stoplight when the world, you know, signals and tells you red or a stop sign tells you red and you need to stop, that everybody's cool with that? Because if we didn't, we'd get in a wreck and somebody would die. But when a church comes and tells you, stop, 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 don't turn around, stay focused, there's a red signal that's flashing, everybody gets all upset and butthurt because somebody tells them that they're going to die. That is just a lack of common sense and sheer stupidity. I'm just going to say that. That is us trying to justify and reason without having reason at all to justify. God's not playing around. He's not playing around. And I thought about what you said about the heart. That if the church is the heart and the mission which is the field that we're in, is the vascular system. I thought about the bride. And it's up to the bride to circulate the blood flow. Now, now, anybody who's ever been married in here, isn't it the bride who gets the groom's blood pumping just a little bit? Careful. Y'all act like you ain't ever been married before or... Like the reality of intimacy. Don't lie. Don't tell me that that groom ain't thinking of intimacy before he's thinking of anything else at that moment. The bride gets the blood of the groom pumping. She gets the blood of the groom circulating and moving. She causes that warm and home feeling inside. She makes things move for that groom. She's the feet that causes him to move. And the fact of it is, is that when you have cold feet, when you have cold feet, poor blood flow, poor circulation in your legs and feet, it causes them to be cold. And Jesus said his bride is fitted with the gospel shoes of peace. Our feet represent circulating the gospel. If we have cold feet of the bride, how are you moving the blood of the groom throughout the world? Cold feet are also a sign of anemia or shortage of red blood cells. And God said this, he said, if the bride of Christ is not fully devoted to God, it comes up in short supply of his DNA and loses its ability to share the gospel. Are you in short supply? Are you spiritually tired and lethargic as a bride because you are in short supply of the blood that flows through you of Jesus Christ? 
Are you in short supply of that which is supposed to be circulated and moving? And you wonder why the bride is dragging her feet in the last days. And it's because we do not represent the full DNA of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about just remnant church. I'm not talking about churches just in the city. I'm talking about right here. You are the church. You can say, oh, I've served. I don't care what you want to give me as your accolades and all your awards and everything else that are laid out in front of me. I want to know, do you love him? Do you love him? You know, what's interesting is... uh when they said that she'd become a pillar of salt. And I thought, why a pillar? You know what I mean? Because a pillar is something that it stands and it's erected and it's, you know what I mean? It's a pillar. And uh, I, I did, I looked up uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the scientists that have been going over there and like 80% of Sodom and Gomorrah as they've been just excavating all that is 80% salt after the fire came 80% salt was that city there was nothing left but 80% of salt and it's interesting because it's right across from the Dead Sea and nothing lives in the Dead Sea nothing it's nothing but salt and and God really spoke to me and he said now she's become a pillar of salt over that whole place I don't know about you, but I don't want to become that pillar that doesn't, there's nothing living in it. Everything's dead. I don't want to have, because if you don't have circulation on your feet, you don't have circulation, then they, they die. They will be cut off. They'll fall off. I, I've seen many uh, have got their legs cut off and their feet cut off because there was no circulation that had happened. And because it was dead, there was no more blood flow. And the Dead Sea, as me and Brandon went there in Israel, you can go into the Dead Sea and you can, your whole body literally floats up in the, because there's nothing but salt. There's nothing that is alive. And God said that Lot, Lot's wife represented nothing alive. Remember Lot's wife, the bride that has nothing alive. I don't know about you, but I want to live and I want to breathe and I want to have my being in him. And if we don't have that love and that dedication to Christ, then what are we doing? We could prophesy. It said, oh, you prophesied. I prophesied in your name. I did all these works. I even fed that hungry person, and I did. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't want that. I don't want to ever hear that. I don't want to hear that for my children. I don't want to hear that for my husband. I don't want to hear that for my grandchildren. I don't want to hear it for you. But we have a choice personally of our own selves to be which bride are we going to be? Are we going to be the false bride? Are we going to be the true bride? Are we going to be, you know what I'm saying? Well, he calls, tells us that we are the salt and light yeah. in the earth. We're the salt and the light in the earth. But what's crazy about that is the salt within her that God had placed there literally dried up and became a true picture of what the bride looks like when she loses her heart for God. That's right. That's the remembering of the Lot's wife. When you lose your heart for God, you dry up. You're weary. Mm -hmm. 
You're not dedicated. You're not affectionate. You're just going through the motions. And you think you have all the time in the world to get it back. Do you have a moment to get it back? That it's all going to just, you know, come back together. I'm telling you, you're going to miss the moment if you continue to have split affections. There is a war for the bride of Christ within your soul on a daily basis. You have a choice every day of where to turn your affections. And are you going to be divided? In Scripture, if you, if you really study and read, God will break things apart for you and really open up what is going on. And it said in 1732, in the footnote, yeah. it said, remember Lot's wife. And it said this, it said, she turned back because her heart her affections and her desires still wanted mm -hmm. to be in Sodom. You know what's crazy is she was more willing to look upon judgment. She was more willing to settle with the judgment of sin than to settle with the king. Mm -hmm. I, more willing to settle with the judgment of sin than to settle with the king. Verse 34, and I tell you in that night there will be two in one bed and one will be taken Whew. and the other left. Lord, there will be two women grinding together and one will be taken and the other left. And they said to them, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Where the dried up bride is, the there's the vultures will gather. And I am telling you, I believe that God is, I believe this is a warning. I do. Like never before. I want to go to Revelations uh, 11 real quick. Listen to this. See, you started that, Sam, getting in Revelations, man. Revelations 11. Verse 1, then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told to rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. There's a measuring today. Verse 2, but do not measure the court outside of the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the whole city for 42 months. Verse 8, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their, where their Lord was crucified. The great city symbolizes every empire that rejects God and harms his church and harms his bride. Are you... It will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 8, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. I, I'm telling you that God is, is saying, come out from among them and be separate. There were ten virgins. Five were wise and five were foolish. But what's interesting about the ten virgins is they all had lampstands. 
And they all came to be expecting to see the bridegroom. But five of them didn't have enough oil. Five of them dried up. Five of them was going to the true bride to say, can I have some of your oil? I bet, and I'm telling you, I bet they weren't like going, can you give me some of your oil? No, the bridegroom's coming. I need some of your oil. Can I have some of that? Are you going to give me that? And here's the world saying to the church, are you going to give me some of your oil? Because I don't want to sacrifice what I want to do. I want to do whatever I want, but can you give me some of your oil? And we're going to be as a church and as a bride, and we're going to say to the false bride, the one that's not been prepared to say, you need to go get your own oil. I've got to go in. But can you say that? Would you be able to say that? Would you be able to say, you're going to have to get your own oil. You're going to have to go get what you're supposed to go get. That's hard. What if it was your family that said that to you? What if it was, what if it was somebody, what if it was your sister? What if it was a family member that said, I need some of your oil, man. No, I need to get you. The bridegroom's coming in and they're, they're going to close the door. Can I have some? And you're going to. Lot didn't turn around even when his wife turned to a pillar of salt. He never, if he would have turned around, he would have become a pillar of salt. He had to leave his, can you imagine leaving your bride, Sam? Because she would be disobedient. Even some of your family, you're going to have to turn your head to it. That's not funny. We all want them to be saved. We all want them to be rescued. But I don't think that the virgins were just going, okay, can I have some of your oil? Do you know what I mean? I think there was an overwhelming sense of desperateness on both parts. But where are you going to be desperate to turn your head? There was a desperateness on on the virgins who had no oil, and there was a desperateness on the virgins who did. There's, there's this, this desire for God, and then there's this desire for the world. And we want everything to turn in the way that we think it's going to turn and happen in the way we think it's going to happen and be the way we want it to happen, and it's not like that. And Christy, can you put that on real quick, please? Um, I know, Susan, can you grab Pastor Brandon for me for a second? I know he went, he was talking to that couple for a second. Uh, I, I wanted to show you something um, for a minute. And uh, God really laid this on my heart. I was trying to figure out a, a better way to display. You know, we can talk about things, but I was trying to figure out how can we make it real. Hey, love. Can you come here for just a minute? So, I, I want you to do me a favor. Um, can we shift this just for a second? Just back even a little bit. Okay. I want you to stand here for a second. Just stand up here for a minute. And... Uh, Kavars, I don't know if you're going to have to move to shift for me or whatever you want to do. And if you're online, I'm sorry if you can't see every bit of what's happening. But I was thinking about 
when Brandon and I met, my heart and my devotion and my passions were not towards God whatsoever. I did not have a love for God. I had been hurt and felt like I was abandoned by the people who are supposed to love God. And so I turned my back on God. And I remember when he and I met that, you know, I, I didn't want to serve God. But, but before that, I had already said, you know, God, I'm in this bad place because I was in a bad spot. I was in a rough spot. A bad spot of being in places I shouldn't have been and in a relationship with somebody who dealt drugs and, and in things that were just really rough. But the crazy thing about it is this. As I had prayed one night and I said, God, if you send anything or anyone my direction, that I will serve you for the rest of my life. And the other night, we were setting. And Brandon said something to me, and it made me think about some things. He said, I want to let you know. Because he was like, babe, I need to talk to you for a minute. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> like, because that's, that's my lover. And, and, I, and I appreciate when he even tells me things, you know, maybe that I need to fix. You know what I'm saying? Things that are just like, hey, you might have responded this way. Or, you know, I don't appreciate maybe the way that you've responded to me or talked to me. And so I was just thinking, oh, man. And not that I was in trouble, but I was just thinking in my heart, did I do something that offended the people that I love? You know, maybe, maybe there was something I, you know, God checked me. And he sat down and he said to me, he said, he said, Jen, I want to tell you something. He said, since I've known you, he said, I want to let you know that I admire and I honor your consistency. He said, from the moment that we've been together and you gave your life to Christ, he said, you have not changed in the fact of turning your head around to go back to anything. And I, and I got in tears because I was thinking, you know, like, sometimes you wonder, as a bride, if you're doing right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can wonder as a bride, as the bride of Christ, if we're doing right or you know, as we go along, because brides aren't given just one job. They have many jobs, which are to take care of, you know, their spouse. But then the children that come along, you know, there's many things that a bride takes on. And I began to remember as we were going here, and I thought about the day that we got married. And I began to think as I, the doors open. And you know what's crazy? It was, it was crazy because God had told us that when, we, when I walked down the aisle, we were going to play worship music, and it was by violins. And I'll never forget when I walked down that the song that was being played was, Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, for you are holy. And what was crazy is our biggest depiction, and people would ask me, you know, why, you know what, what was it in Brandon that you saw? And I would tell them, and I honestly would say this, I saw God. I saw Jesus. I saw how Jesus would really love me, not how the world loved me and treated me like I was a piece of meat in something that they needed and would take from me and remove from me. But I saw the loving arms of Jesus Christ. And I began to remember as a bride when those doors opened and what I felt 
as I began to walk down that aisle. And I will never forget the response. I was weeping. You were weeping. But you know what his response was? It wasn't to look at me and just be like, oh, you look good. His response was his arms were up in the air wide and he began to speak in tongues and give praise and honor and glory to God. Why? Because it was about the bride was coming home. The bride was coming down the aisle and had a focus on her lover like nobody else. It was souls that had been saved and redeemed and rescued from hell. It was that anticipation of knowing that there was a journey that was getting ready to start that wasn't about just love and love making and passion. It was about a passion of Jesus Christ. I have made a vow that I would never turn my head. I've kept that vow with everything within me. Not based off Brandon, but based off my love for Jesus Christ because I don't want to turn my head. I don't want to turn my head from the lover who's waiting at me at the, at the altar. I don't want to turn my head. I don't want a moment where God's looking at me and saying, but you don't love me. You've done everything to serve me. I don't want to be the bride that's begging at the feet of the broom, asking for forgiveness when it's too late. I want to be the bride that walks down the aisle. And go look at my love face to face. And tell him, I may not have done everything right, but I've served with my whole heart. I've loved with my whole heart. And I've given you all of me, and I do it all over again. And I want to be able to, just like the bride of Christ, come stand hand in hand with my lover. And know that I've committed and kept my vow. Lot's wife couldn't keep her vow. And I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine the love of my life walking in front of me and never turning around knowing. Knowing that I abandoned everything that I knew was the truth. Knowing that I abandoned the full love and the intimacy that I had had. I couldn't take it. doesn't mean that you don't go through struggles. It doesn't mean that life isn't real. We'd be lying if we said that from that moment we didn't face things that were difficult and that were hard. We wouldn't be telling the truth. Not like I have to tell you everything that we've gone through, but there were moments, there were moments that it was like this. And I couldn't turn around. I couldn't turn around. 
turn around for me. It wasn't like that. But you know what speaks to me about this one? is that scripture that says, come back to where you started. And I will never forget when we were going through our times and things were happening. Because I was not a good person when Brandon first met me. I could chew you up and spit you out and not give a crap about who you were or what was happening to you or if you liked me or not. I didn't care. I didn't care that everybody knows knew that I didn't serve God. Actually, I was more proud of it because I didn't want to be somebody fake either or. I'll never forget as we were literally struggling and we had things going on in our life and in our marriage and we were separate. There was a bride war that was going on. I had a, a lady at the church where we were at ask me, why are you still hanging on? Why are you allowing, why are you still hanging on and, and going through what you're going through for him? And I said, because he was the only one at one moment that showed me the love of Jesus Christ. And it is my job to do the same. It is my job to do what represents as a bride, what they would do for their lover, what they would do to be committed and stay faithful to what's going on. And we made that commitment. And we followed through. Did it feel like we were going through hell? Oh my God, yes. But I can honestly tell you to this day that there is nobody else that I love more than you besides God. He takes first. And I tell you this, but you are my favorite person in the whole world. You are my best friend. You are the one who spurs me on to want to be better for God, to want to do better, to be a better mother, to be a better spouse, to do what's better. And I believe that's because you've allowed God to work in you. And so when I look at you, I don't idolize you, but I desire to want to be and know that God, that closeness, that, that affection that I feel towards God is that affection that I give you. But I couldn't do that if this wasn't first. And you couldn't give to me when this isn't first. And the fact of it is, is all I'm challenging you with today, church, is who is first? And who do you love? Where are your affections? And who do you choose? Are you willing to allow the groom to walk down the aisle and not turn his head because you are more concerned and have the ability to look upon your sin than you do to look focused towards, the, towards God? God wants to move in you. There is no game in it today. There is no game to play. This isn't about I just serve God when I want to. I'll serve him on Sunday and I'll live like hell the next day. And then I'll ask forgiveness for the next day and I'll do it all over again. You know where we'd be if we acted like that? We'd be divorced. It's a long time ago. There was a moment where I put my hope in my position than I would in, in him. So when the new pastor came in, and I was a youth pastor, and we had the largest youth group in the region. It was like 300 students. And we were going crazy, and he brought his entourage in. So I was putting my hope in all the students and all that. 
She was having kids 2,000 miles away from home. And God was doing some cool things, but we were separating. I was so focused on the ministry that I was losing my marriage. And so she was getting pushed back. And it wasn't even on purpose, but it slowly became a thing. And when I had lost the position as pastor, as youth pastor, he just wanted to go a different direction. Before that happened, I went into the office and, and I said, we're having marriage problems big time. I need help because we've, we've separated. So imagine the youth leaders and the, the teenagers knowing all that's going on in ministry and your own wife don't even know what's going on. Then hearing it from other people, they just, it just made it worse. So when we go into the office, we sat down and said, need help. And I said, I've been trying to call you. He said, I know I've ignored you. I said, but I need help. He said, you can't get your help here. We can't help you. And by the way, today's your last day. And I flipped out. I ran off. I'm just, I'm giving you content so you understand what she's saying. And in the same hand, somebody was in my office packing up all my boxes, all my office, everything I had. And just like a few weeks ago, Sam's looking through my stuff. And he's like, I want that book. I got that. You, let me have that. It was all a bunch of youth books. And I'm like, Sam, you're seeing it for the first time since I've seen it because somebody packed it up. I didn't even know what was in there. And, you know, it was, a, it was a deep thing for me to overcome just by Sam looking through it. And in that moment, we, I love ministry overtake everything. And when I lost my position, I lost me because I put my hope in my position instead of in Christ. With or without ministry, I have to have Christ. If, if I'm not the pastor of this church, I still got Jesus. I can't fall apart if I'm not the pastor here. I have to, with Christ alone, I'm going to stay together. But I wasn't. So it got worse. It got to the point where we separated. I came here, she went to Kansas City, and it was around this time, like 14th, it was November 09, November 9th, what's, yeah, so around this time. We separated, we almost got a divorce over it. I was mad at her, she was mad at me, and I just, it got the best of me. It was sad because we got in an argument, and we're yelling, and the neighbor saw us, and I'm yanking on her, and the cop came, and he's like, we heard some disturbance, and she left, and I just was so beat up. I just said, I'm done. Just take me to jail. He said, did you put your hands on her? I said, I did. And he took me to jail. Now, talking about going to jail, you the largest youth ministry in the whole city doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but it didn't matter at that time. I put my hope in my position. And when it fell apart, I, I got at the person that I loved the most and blamed her for. Because you didn't understand, because you weren't there. Well, she's, why is it her fault? Because we had children together and nobody could watch him and there was no family and we had to figure out life. And so when she's talking about those whole things, I had to find myself. And I sat in that jail cell acting like I could try to find some kind of purpose like Paul and Silas. I was numb as can be. I did not want to do anything. And that's when I told you stories later, and that was within a year and a half that God told me to move home and start a church, or two years. I didn't want to. I was like, no way, no way. 
But in that time, God healed my heart. God set me free, set us free, and that love got even stronger. And, and that's why you see why I'm so passionate about preaching about let Christ be the source. It's all about Jesus, always only Jesus. Is because with or without any position, your job, you lose your job, you lose a marriage, you lose somebody, you, you got to have him. You can't just fall apart and think that everything's going to be just If Christ is the center of your life, no matter what falls apart around you, you're still good. But if that's not what the case was. I just, like she's saying, we're doing works here. We're just serving. But I did, I put my whole hope in him. And then I didn't. I, I, I thought I did. But I was, but when, when I lost what I thought I valued, everything fell apart. And the only thing I value and I want to value is, is him. No matter, like I said, if, if, if these door, if something happens, I don't even know. But it, it doesn't matter if I can't, you see, I can't fall apart. Because my, my, my foundation's found in Him. When everything's found in Christ, everything else will fall in place. And all the, all the stuff will come in order. And so it, it, it's, a, it, it's crazy when you want to, ah, just give me one more look. When you're trying to do life and you just want to look, just, but you got to leave. Like it was a vicious leave. And it doesn't change the fact that I shouldn't have acted the way or blamed her and been mad and all that. Didn't see my kids, all, all the above. I was so mad. And I can't blame the church at all in some of that. Yes, did they do me wrong by just like taking my stuff and throwing it out in the street and literally putting it out in the road? And I had to figure out how to leave and I had nothing. I had nobody. And it was, it was wrong. The whole thing was wrong. But it didn't change my response. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a product of my own choices. And that's, I think that's where it's at for all of us. If we choose to follow Christ, then keep your eyes on Christ. Why do you keep looking back thinking your future is behind you? Just give me one more look. I mean, I just want to see it. I mean, Lot was in the back end. Lot's wife was in the back of the, basically of, the, of her family. All she needed was in front of her. But for some weird reason, she wanted to look back at what was behind her. Just let me look once. And the moment she looked, she was gone. And Lot, imagine being Lot that you can't turn around until you get over the hill, over the mountain, and, and, and away from that city so you can look. And you turn around and realize your wife's not there. Completely gone. And you can't run back and say, well, maybe she fell. or Maybe something tripped up. But she was completely gone. And I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, church, never look back. Keep moving forward. The, we can't change the past. We can live in the moment and hope for the best of the future. And I'm telling you, God, God's up to something so incredible. And I think this moment that we realize is he's longing for, for you. Will you really just serve me for real? Or will you continue to play games and call it served on Sunday and, and live crazy on Monday? Live like you don't serve you know what I mean? I, I think it's where it comes to a point of, I just want Jesus, and my whole life is going to be focused around that. I'm fully devoted to Christ, no matter what. I'm going to stay the same as I walk in here, as I walk out there. I'm still going to look for opportunities. I'm still going to witness to people. I'm going to follow Christ. Is things going to trip me up? Probably. But am I going to get up? Absolutely. Am I going to fall? If I fall, I'm going to fall forward and keep going. And that's the biggest thing. I think that what we were trying to 
show also on one side of the bride was not very pretty. You know, we, we, were, we haven't even showed you the beauty of the other side. We were, we were trying to show you as the Lord would directed us of whether it was the five foolish or whether it was Lot's wife. Uh, that there was foolishness that happened. And I think there's a warning to say, stop your foolishness. Well, the foolishness Do you know what I mean? becomes selfishness. It does. Because I'm not prepared because I chose not to be prepared. You know what I mean? Like in, in general, like if I, if I need to be, I'm not prepared. And, and I guess how you personally look at it in, in just a simple form is how often are you really prepared in life? Are you the one that's barely on time to work because you wait to the last minute? If you run your physical life, personal life that way, how do you live your spiritual life then? It should, it, it's almost like a mirror image. If, are you always just hurrying up to oh my gosh, instead of like you knowing like I got to take the time for this because it's valuable to me. Like today, you all here because it, it, it meant something. It's valuable to you. But when you live your everyday life, does it reflect Christ? If other people that didn't know Christ or really know you, do they know that you represent who he is? If not, those things have to come in alignment to change. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll say it from the rooftop. I'll say it from the lowest end. I, it doesn't, I'll say it in the alley. It does not matter. I, I'm, I have nothing to be ashamed of, and I ain't going to sit there and whisper and stutter over it. I'm going to be bold and courageous because I know who he is and who he is in me. There's nothing prideful or anything. It's just he's waiting for a, a, a group of people to rise up and just live for him, for real. It's only going to get worse. So he's wanting the light to shine brighter, but it's in all areas. Oh, I only brought enough light for a couple things. No, he wants you to be prepared because you don't know what you're going to step into. So when you're prepared for that, then you can take that on. He knows the path. He knows, the, he knows who, who we are and where we're going. He knows what's ahead of us. But are you prepared to take the journey? Do we fully say we're fully committed to God? Or do we just, you know, we say we're a Christian and we just kind of leave it at that. But are we truly, fully devoted to him in all areas of life? That's what he's looking for is full commitment because if you look throughout the word and you look throughout history, God used people that were fully sold out to him and it changed everything. Well, love, I think it's just the reality of this is that when we, we can't get into what a true bride looks like until the bride cleans up. Because, you know, when you come and you go to rehearsal dinner, the bride don't look like she's going to look on the next day. You know, she, she comes normal. And I'm not saying that she doesn't dress nice and get herself together. But that ain't what she's going to look like the next day. And God's trying to say that in order to be the true bride, the bride, the other bride on the other half of that bride wars, what, what God's really stirring you towards, he wants to know are you willing to give him every part of you so you can be that? Are you willing to give him your whole and allow him to truly love you the way he needs to? And you do the same. It's the truth. God accepts you. It wasn't, well, this is the same thing. It wasn't like on rehearsal dinner when I didn't come down in my bridal gown that Brandon was like, ah, it's done. Oh, 
He accepted me just as I was from the very beginning. And it's the same thing with Christ. He does accept you as you are. But guess what I had to do? I had to change to represent the bride. It's the fact of it. If God truly comes into your life and you really love him, then you, you change. And you allow change to take over you. So why don't you stand with us today? And what I'm going to say is, if you know there's things in your life that are turning your head and keeping your devotion from being turned towards God. These altars are open so that you can give that to him as the bride. If you know God is challenging you in your heart to say, yes, God, I want to be the true bride. I want to represent the true bride of Christ. And this goes men and women. It's not, this is not a gender thing right here. This is just representing loving God right here. If you know there's things in your life that are turning your affections from being in that intimate place with God. And I'm talking to even those of you who serve all the time here. That's what he said to the Ephesians. You may not be like Lot's wife and be more worried about sin. You may have just lost your passion. If you know that and it's you today, I'm going to ask you to encourage you to come forth. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God's face and allow him to deal in our lives this morning, right now, at this very moment. The altars are open. Right now is your opportunity to move. Joel 2, 12, 13, and 14. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. He knows whether he will not, who knows whether he, he will not return and leave a blessing for you, a grain offering and a drink offering from the Lord himself. Return with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. We're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. I'm telling you, if you feel that conviction of God, you're never too far from his grace. And truly giving your life to him. And just say, you know what, I can't live like this. Choosing not to live the same way you've lived. If you need God to set you free, if you need him to take, just give it to him. He's good. And if you feel like, you know what, God, I just need to get some things right because I really haven't been fully devoted. I've just said, my words have said it. And if you were like me, just put in your hope and your position and everything else, but God, get it back in order. Just line it back up to him. He'll bless it.